Simon and Schuster presents Pizzazz, It's Not Easy Being Super, written and read by Sophie Hen. For my pizzazz and all the others, be your kind of super, but only when you want to be. Meet the supers. There's my mum, a.k.a. Atomic, my dad, a.k.a. Orr, my annoying little sister, a.k.a. Red Dragon, Wanda, half dog, half telephone, Grandma, a.k.a. Ray, Gramps, a.k.a. Inferno, Uncle Teaser, Auntie Blaze, she's so cool, Uncle Titano, yes, there are that many O's, Granny, Auntie Fury, uh-oh, and Kapow, my secret baddie friend. And the normals, Tom, Susie, my best friends from my old school, the populars, led by Serena, Molly, Ivy and Ed. Chapter One, the bit about me. OK, well, I am nine and a quarter, almost nine and a half, and my name is Pizzazz. Yes, you did hear that right. My name is Pizzazz. And yes, it is completely embarrassing. And no, I don't think it's a proper name either. But as with most things around here, it really doesn't seem to matter what I think about it. With a ridiculous name like Pizzazz, I should probably be a magician or a pop star or a really smelly perfume. But I'm not any of those things. What I actually am is super. Not super as in brilliant, or terrific, or even very good. I am super super. Actually super. As in superhero, with powers and stuff. Because of this, I have to wear a costume, and part of that costume is a very annoying cape. It gets in the way, flapping around my feet and trailing in puddles and getting stuck in doors. But I still have to wear it all the time. Not just when it's cold. And my ridiculous name, which in case you hadn't already guessed, I hate, is written right across the back of my cape in huge shiny letters. Super. Eye roll. I come from a family of superheroes, which is generally how it works. Not always. I mean, there's the occasional freak accident in a scientist's lab or a weird weather insect reclusive millionaire incident that ends up with a perfectly normal person being able to climb up glass buildings or make lightning or jump really, really, really high or suddenly talk in a low, gravelly voice. But mainly, you're just born and find yourself in a family of superheroes and you can fly and stuff. Then, if you are like me, you might find yourself wondering why you don't feel quite as delighted about this as the rest of your family does. The most annoying person in my family is definitely my little sister. She's like a superhero, crossed with a cheerleader, crossed with someone who is completely good at everything. For example, on our first day at nursery, during craft time, Red made a scale model of the molecular structure of chocolate. I made a house. A wonky house. Well, a box with a door. At our first sports day together, Red won our running race, even though she's in the years below. 
but it was close. Ish. And then, when we both auditioned for the school play, guess who got the starring role? It wasn't me. I was a tree. So you can see what I mean. Oh, and did I mention she's really happy all the time? Well, she is. Also, unlike me, she actually got a cool superhero name. Red Dragon. Which is just another of the many reasons I know my parents prefer her to me. I call her Red for short, because Red Dragon is quite a mouthful to say if you just want someone to pass the TV remote, get a snack, or even go away. But she is absolutely not allowed to call me Piz. If I'm feeling generous, she can call me Zaz, but she's never really sure when I'm actually feeling generous. And if I'm honest, neither am I. So she tends to just call me Pizzazz. With a name like Red Dragon, obviously her superpower is that she can breathe fire, which is really useful, not just for defeating baddies, but at barbecues too, and for birthday cake candles. She's also got super speed, which is okay, I suppose. They are all way cooler than my superpower, which is the least cool of all the superpowers. And in fact, so uncool that sometimes I even consider letting the baddies win so I don't actually have to use it. Yes, it's that embarrassing. Anyway, I cannot even talk about it right now. It's just all so unfair. Before. My parents were sort of super famous about a million years ago because they've saved the world about a trillion times. But these days, they just make me and Red do everything. Neutralise rockets, realign planets, load the dishwasher. It's like we're their personal servants or something. And if you think it's hard to have your mum and dad cheering you on from the sidelines at sports day, try having them cheer you on while you and your irritating little sister divert a planet-sized meteor that's on a direct collision course with Earth. Yep, no pressure. And unlucky for me, it's not just my immediate family that are completely weird. Oh no, it's actually my entire family. There's my Uncle Teaser, Mum's little brother, Grandma, Mum's mum, Gramps, Mum's dad, Red Dragon, annoying, Mum, Dad and me, duh, Uncle Titano, Dad's little brother, and yes, there are that many O's. Grandmother, Dad's slightly scary mum. Wanda, she's not a pet. Auntie Blaze, Dad's awesome sister. Oh, and Auntie Fury, Dad's sister who went to the dark side. We don't talk about her much. Also, we have a dog. She's not exactly a pet dog, but more like a total bossy boots who happens to have four legs, a tail, flappy ears and can't resist running after anything you throw. We call her Wanda because that's her name. And she came to us from Mission Control, who are basically in charge of which super goes where, saves what and when. So instead of having an actual phone to talk to Mission Control, like normal, sensible people, we have a dog who receives and transmits messages and generally keeps an eye on us. Although totally embarrassing and completely weird, it does actually work okay most of the time though Wanda is absolutely not allowed to go on any missions anymore. This is because Dad threw one of the bomb's super scratchy itching powder bombs into outer space just before it exploded, 
but Wanda zoomed off and fetched it right back, just in time for it to explode and make us all itch forever. Well, not quite forever, but at least a month. We also have two guinea pigs. Well, I have one and my sister has the other. They are actual pets and don't do anything other than the usual guinea pig stuff. But they're still super, just normal super, like great. My guinea pig is called Bernard. I named it before I knew it was a girl, but it still really suited her and I think she likes it, so I stuck with it. My sister's guinea pig is called Rocket and is actually just as annoying as she is. They're both always dashing about, achieving stuff and basically showing off. Bernard is more laid back like me. We both like to sleep a lot and eat a lot too. And we have the same favourite snack, prawn cocktail crisps. Nice. Most people seem to think that being a superhero must be completely brilliant. They are actually very wrong. You have probably guessed that I am not particularly thrilled with being super, but there are a few good things about it. Just a few. Things that are super. Number one, flying. Obviously, flying is a great thing. I mean flying. But not all superheroes can actually fly, i.e. my little sister. Ha, 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 ha. Number two, having a whole family of superheroes who are watching out for you. Well, I say a whole family, but there is my Auntie Sarah and she's not actually a superhero. Well, not in the usual sense. Though my mum says she should have a medal for putting up with my Uncle Teaser. She has a point. And then there's my Auntie Fury, who I'm not supposed to talk about, as she is now a baddie. Shh. Number three, you get superpowers. This is normally a great thing, especially if your power is like super speed or super strength or laser eyes that can see through people and even buildings. But if you are me and have the worst, most awful, embarrassing superpower in the universe, then it definitely belongs on the next list. Things that are not so super. There are way more rubbish things about being a superhero. At least I think so. Number one, school. Even though I am a superhero, whizzing around, saving a world or a town or a kitten from almost certain doom, I still have to go to school, which seems a bit much to me. Mum is always blah, blah, blurring about how it's important to have something to fall back on just in case all the baddies decide to turn over a new leaf. As if, as far as I can work out, no matter how many baddies get defeated, there are just a million more queuing up behind them to cause havoc with their fancy laser blasters and snazzy stink bomb makers. Number two, you have to wear the same outfit the whole time. Well, we have lots of spares of the same outfit. I mean, we're not gross, apart from Fartarella, who as you can guess, makes really disgusting stinks. Ugh. But other than that, we are actually fairly hygienic. Number three, you are always disappearing off to save all of mankind. One minute, you are about to choose a delicious ice cream. Will it be banana chocolate chip? Or toffee chocolate chip? Or chocolate chocolate chip? And the next minute, you're zooming off on a mission. It can really get in the way of stuff, 
and not just delicious ice creams. Here are some examples of just how annoying it can be. Example one. You are just getting into a really good book at the part where you have to know what happens next and then all of a sudden, wanders there and shouting all over the place. Emergency mission, go, go, go. It turns out there's a proper bad baddie storming the city with his evil robot army and you have to scarper over there double fast to stop him and then you lose your page. Ugh. Example two. An extremely evil mastermind is trying to colonise an innocent planet in outer space. But you've just started dinner. And it's not just any old dinner, but your favourite dinner. Mine is pizza or baked potatoes, but mainly pizza. Anyway, you have to leave your dinner and go and save the innocent planet right away. And by the time you get back, your pizza is cold and curled up at the edges. Ooh! And you have to have yoghurt and a banana because it's late and everyone's tired. Example three. A wicked genius has made a giant stink bomb and is threatening to explode it all over the Queen's birthday party. And instead of going bowling for your friend's birthday like you were supposed to, you in actual fact have to spend the whole afternoon thwarting the wicked genius's evil plans and getting soaked in stink juice, which takes three weeks to properly wash out. Pew! Number four. All that disappearing makes it really hard to have friends. Despite this, I did actually have two of the best friends in the whole world. Universe, even. Tom and Susie, at my old school. They never, ever got annoyed with me constantly disappearing. They never thought my cape was strange. And they didn't even mind about the stink juice. I guess that's because I've known them my whole life. And that's how things have always been. They were used to having a superhero best friend, called Pizzazz. But now everything's changed, because besides giving me the worst name ever and a stupid cape, my parents decided they needed to ruin my life a bit more by making us move house. In fact, not just house, but to a whole new town which is hard enough normally, but when you're a super weirdo like me, I'm certain it's even harder. There's just so much to explain all the time. Maybe I should just get it all printed on a T-shirt. Or a cape. Ha, ha. And then there's... Number five, you always have to be the goody, even when you don't feel like it. Number six, the whole of Earth's existence depends on you. Well. Not just you, you and all the other superheroes, but sometimes just you if the others are busy with something else. And that can be quite a worry. Number seven, you spend a lot of your time wishing you were normal. Well, at least I do. Number eight, your superpower is super embarrassing and super stupid and you super hate it. I roll. Chapter two. The bit where I start a new school. The new place we live isn't so bad. It's just not the old place, which was, and always will be, the best place. Also, I have no friends, even after living here for three whole months. I rang Susie this evening. We talked and she told me everything that was happening at my old school. And it was really nice to hear about everyone. 
but then she had to go, as it was roller disco night and Tom called by for her while we were on the phone. I know if I was there, I would have gone too. And I really don't want to feel jealous because I love them both. But I'm not, so I didn't. And I did feel jealous. I asked Mum if I could fly over for a couple of laps, but she said only if I had done all my homework, which I obviously hadn't as I had been on the phone to Susie. I miss them and roller discos. Everything wouldn't be quite so bad at my new school if Mrs Harris hadn't made one of the populars be my buddy. You know, the person who looks after you and shows you around when you are new in school and have no friends. You didn't need supervision to see Serena, one of the populars, pull a puking face when Mrs Harris picked her to be my buddy. It's completely humiliating following her around the whole time and knowing that she and the rest of the populars would rather I just disappear. And how am I supposed to be all friend-makingly funny and witty when I get dragged out in the middle of the night to go on super missions? Hmm? For example, last night, Wanda went charging around the house, waking us all up with a top-secret mission. This super-evil baddie and general bother, Laserdome, had decided to launch an attack on planet Earth in the middle of the night because he does not care that there is school tomorrow. I was happily sleeping until Wanda got just too loud. Pizzazz! I was straight up and away, and me, Mum and Dad, and an annoyingly perky red, she even brushed her teeth before we left, zoomed out to Laserdrome's volcanic HQ. It was 9am volcano time, and Laserdrome was clearly feeling pretty fabulous about his superpower laser having programmed it to zap all the major cities in the whole world. How can he be stopped, you cry? Well, just by tying a knot in the bit of the tube the laser comes out of, apparently. With plans this easily thwartable, it's a wonder these super-evil baddies get anything done. <sighs> Once that was done, we left Laserdrome having a bit of a cry. It was all quite embarrassing, really. And then I got home and went to bed and could not for the life of me get back to sleep. I roll. We got home at 6am and I still had to go to school, which was completely unfair. Mum said we would be fine if we had a nap. A nap? Aren't they for babies or old people or dads on Sundays? As I am none of those, I decided I would not nap. That'll show Mum. After school. So tired. I was so completely exhausted and so happy to get home from school, especially because I accidentally fell asleep in physics and dribbled a bit on the desk and now Serena hates me more than ever. I was just lying on my bed enjoying staring at the ceiling when Red burst in to tell me we were leaving in 10 minutes for Grandma and Gramps' house. Helpfully, rolling off the bed and hitting the floor woke me up a bit. We live near Grandma and Gramps now, and they're the main reason my life has been turned upside down and basically ruined. Mum wanted us to live closer to them, so we can help out more, as they are really old. I tried to argue that if we can all fly halfway round the world in under a minute to redirect a baddie's rocket into deep space, then popping over to help Gramps lift a car or something should be no problemo. Unsurprisingly, Mum wasn't listening, though. But if I had to ruin my life for anyone, I suppose I am glad it's them.
Grandma and Gramps are retired from being superheroes now, and I don't think Grandma misses it one bit. But Gramps always likes to know what's been happening. What I like best about Gramps is that, like Red, one of his superpowers is making fire from nowhere, out of nothing. He still does it from time to time, but mainly by accident. All you have to do is make him laugh so hard he does a little trump, and that comes out as a tiny fireball. It is hilarious. Only Grandma doesn't think so, as they have got through a lot of chairs and trousers, and you absolutely cannot make him laugh if he is sitting on the posh sofa in the fancy room. Anyway, we lifted the car, had dinner, and it was actually really nice to see Grandma and Gramps, and I was almost slightly glad we had moved near them, until... The whole way home, Red just went on and on and on about her new class and her new friends and being voted on to school council and how she has a special badge and gets to eat biscuits at the meetings. It was so totally annoying that if I hadn't been so completely exhausted, I would have zoomed through the roof of the car to get away from her. Instead, I imagine she was stranded in a laser cage on a planet that is so, so, so far away it doesn't even have a name yet which helped. All of that is just typical of Red, though. While I'm trailing around after Serena and the Populars with no friends and no votes and no badges and no biscuits, she has managed to completely fit in at school in no time and she doesn't even have to try. When we finally got home, I went to see Bernard and after a brief chat, we decided that tomorrow Everything will change and I will find some actual friends and I will get voted to be something and I will be a complete success and I will have free biscuits. Probably. Bernard the guinea pig squeaked her approval and we both went to bed. Chapter 3. The bit where it doesn't go at all as planned. The next day. Well, maybe... Everything hasn't exactly changed yet, as I had planned. I still don't have real friends, and I'm not quite a complete success yet. Actually, I haven't even had a biscuit, free or otherwise. But I have put my name down to be school counsellor for my class. I think this is a solid step in the right direction. If Red can do it, then I'm practically certain I can too. And there are only two other names on the list. One was Sarah Wooten, who is a complete know-it-all teacher's pet snitch pants, and the other was Ricky Owens. I don't believe for one second he put his name down, as he is rarely even in class, and when he is, he's not listening. He would definitely not be a good person to represent the needs and concerns of elephant class. However, I am an actual superhero, so maybe I might be able to do it. Maybe even be super at it. I phoned Tom about it when I got home, and he agrees. School counsellor is pretty much in the bag. But then, I am not school counsellor. I came third. <sighs> and that wasn't even the worst thing that happened that day. Later on, Wanda came whizzing in, going on about how gooey super baddie Harry the Slime has created the ginormous stinky gunk tank of doom. Yes, there are that many O's in that too. And he's threatening to release it all over Important Town. 
and apparently we had to stop him. We got there just as Harry the Slime was about to pull the cord and soak Important Town in gooey, gooey, stinky slime. Dad told me I had to use my superpower to stop him. He said it was our best chance. But there were people everywhere and they were watching. And it was so embarrassing. As I was wondering what I should do, Harry the Slime let out an evil laugh. <laughs> and shouted, too late, losers, and pulled the cord. Oh, luckily, I was in the way and managed to get most of the slime on me. Lucky. Then Mum, Dad and Smarty Pants Red stepped in and actually saved the day. And if that wasn't bad enough, I had to fly home separately on account of the stinking slime. Ew. The next day. Ugh, what a day. Possibly the worst day ever. And I am no stranger to bad days. Take the day I was thrown into an alien snot pit. Or the day I was almost squeezed to death by an intergalactic slime worm. And this day definitely was worse. Firstly, Sarah Wooten got her school counsellor badge. She would not stop going on about it. And the biscuits. Apparently, they are really delicious. Whatever. Secondly, I found I still had gunk in my eyebrows in lesson three. I found this out by Barry Johnson shouting out very loudly that I had bogey eyebrows. Thirdly, Serena asked Mrs Harris in front of the whole class if she could not be my buddy anymore, as she had been my buddy for ages, and surely I knew where everything was by now. While I do not have anything in common with Serena and the Populars and have felt boilingly uncomfortable trailing around after them, at least having her as my buddy gave me a place to be. Without her, I will have to wander around on my own and have to think about where I am wandering, which will be exhausting. And while I agree that Serena and I will never actually be for real buddies, when she asked Mrs Harris if we could unbuddy, well... I haven't felt that embarrassed since I was hit on the head with a llama. It's a long story. It is one thing to know that you have no friends at school and probably never will, but it's quite a bit worse to have that confirmed in front of the whole class. Sarah Wooten even looks sad for me. Ugh. Fourthly, Mrs Harris obviously thought that because I put my name down for school counsellor, I actually wanted to do something good for the school instead of just trying to compete with my irritating little sister. Uh, actually, Mrs Harris, I do plenty of good things for people all the time, like, uh, save the world. But Mrs Harris clearly decided this was not enough world saving for one person and has made me eco-monitor for our class. I don't even get a badge, just a ribbon, a green ribbon, and no biscuits. Okay. I tried to talk to Mrs Harris about not being eco-monitor. My old teacher, Mr Watson, would have known I already saved the planet all the time. I mean, can't someone else save the planet for a change, please? I explained all this to Mrs Harris, but she just smiled and said I could use all my planet-saving experience for the job and to give it a go. Then she smiled in a way that told me we would not be discussing it anymore. Despite flying to Pluto on the way home to let off some steam, I still felt completely wriggly and fully fed up when I got home. 
I decided I wouldn't actually tell anyone what was wrong because if they really cared, they would just know and gently lure it out of me with hot chocolate and sympathetic looks and pizza. So I went straight to my room and shut the door and decided I would stay there in my room on my own until someone bothered to find out that my life was rubbish. Later. After about 50 hours, Wanda came into my room. I didn't think it was because she wanted to gently lure my problems out of me with snacks. Wanda confirmed my suspicions by sitting in the middle of my room, sniffing her foot and then telling me to be ready in one minute as Twerknado was about to twerk a tornado. Obviously. This was extra annoying as I was rather enjoying my misery and had just got halfway through painting my nails black to show everyone how unhappy I was. But that was all interrupted by Wanda yelping a message from Mission Control about how Twerknado was about to twerk a tornado which was sure to destroy the city. As the music builds, apparently, so does Twerknado's twerk power and we had to stop him before it was too late. As the whole family zoomed in to save the day, we could hear that Twerknado's party was in full swing. But as we arrived at the rooftop party, we realised that actually getting to Twerknado was going to be much harder than we thought, as he was surrounded by bouncers. Our names weren't on the guest list and we were not getting in. Dad tried, but a heavy thwacked him away. Just then I noticed something. Uh, guys! But they ignored me, as Red tried a karate kick to no avail. I tried to get their attention again. Uh, guys! Nothing. Then Mum tried to defeat one of the heavies, but he clunked her away, and the music was deafening, and Twerknado was almost ready to twerk. So I tried again. Guys! Guys! All you need to do is just unplug the speakers. Duh. I roll. <sighs> Sometimes I wonder why I'm not even a little bit popular. I mean, I save the planet and I can fly, and I think I have good hair. Oh yes, and I am eco-monitor. Oh well, I guess nobody's perfect. Who knows, maybe that might even count for something. Ha ha ha. Chapter 4. The bit where I decide to use my eco-powers for good. Well, being eco-monitor has multiplied the number of people I have spoken to at this school by at least 102 because it turned out there were a lot of people in my school who all had something to say about how to save the planet. So I figured if I had to be eco-monitor, I may as well get a nice notebook out of it and write down everyone's suggestions in it. Mostly because my memory is rubbish. I think it was irreparably damaged that time I got hit by a llama. Long story. And also because everybody knows that whether you're superhero saving the planet or just plain old saving the planet, stationery is key. I mean, you can get evil doings highlighters. Obviously, there's mission accomplished stamps. Good and evil dividers. And damage limitations superglue. This meant I had to tell mum everything that happened when she met us from school. It wasn't quite how I wanted her to find out about the millions of things that had been going wrong for me. It really didn't have any of the drama of my original plan, which was to sulk and look sad until I was gently encouraged to talk about it. But I didn't have time for all that now, 
I needed her to stop at Pilkington's on the way home and get my notebook, because although I am allowed to fly to outer space to defeat evil baddies, I am not allowed to get the bus into town on my own. Amazing. I was a bit irritated by this missed opportunity for some sympathy snacks, but the thing that really annoyed me was Red being all pleased for me and saying how I would be the best eco-monitor ever and what a great idea the notebook was and being so super enthusiastic. I don't know why exactly, but it was so infuriating. Anyway, we did stop at Pilkington's and I got my eco-notebook, green and recycled paper, obs, and Red got a red one. She is super bright and of course completely awesome, but has zero imagination. Zero? Later that day. When I called Tom and Susie that evening, they were doing homework together at Susie's because it was Wednesday and we always did homework at Susie's on Wednesdays. I tried not to moan too much about the whole eco-monitor thing, as I realised that moaning was all I had done in every single conversation I'd had with them since I left. Like Red, they were also really pleased and super enthusiastic about all of it. Unlike Red, it wasn't at all annoying when they said it. Hmm. I started to wonder whether maybe the whole eco-monitor thing might not be the absolute worst thing in the world. Maybe. But then! All week, people came up to me with their planet-saving, environment-mending eco-ideas, such as no more homework to save paper and trees. Save water. Never, ever wash again. Ever. Turn off the lights, but only when there's no one in the room. No more bottled drinks at lunchtime and only have refillable water bottles in school. Recycle all our scrap paper. Save the trees and never write in an exercise book again, except this one. Then suddenly... Right at the end of the week, a girl from my class called Ivy came over with a suggestion. I mean, she would have an eco-suggestion, wouldn't she? She's named after a plant. She told me that some big business-type people wanted to bulldoze the park next to school to build a car park. She thought that was a very bad idea, because the trees were actually hundreds and hundreds of years old, and lots of birds and animals lived in the park. And it was an extremely pretty and special place right next to school. And there were loads of car parks already. And why on earth did we need any more? And shouldn't we be cycling and walking more anyway? Then she finished by shoving a newspaper article into my hand, which explained the whole thing. It said, local park under threat. Cash course set to flatten local park to build ginormous car park for loads more cars. She said all of this in a voice that made it sound like it was all my fault, which I felt was pretty unfair. But when Ivy told me she had actually wanted to be eco-monitor, it made more sense. Apparently, she had run the school allotment, successfully campaigned for exercise books made from recycled paper and organised a car share rotor for the whole of year two. Then she asked what qualifications I was bringing to the role. I sort of had to laugh here because she had clearly never heard of my amazing track record for defeating baddies and therefore saving the planet literally all the time. Ivy said, well, that's handy, and I guess saving a park should be no problem then, should it? And I said, huh, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And she said, great, then turned around and walked away. And that is how I decided what my first job as eco-monitor would be.
I'd show Ivy who was saving the world around here. And while I was at it, I could show Red and Mum and Dad and Wanda and everyone that although some people might be school counsellors, I, eco-monitor, was the real mover and shaker around here. Ribbons might even become cooler than badges. I would save the park and everyone would think I was awesome. All I had to do was work out how. Five minutes later, I had thought and thought and thought and thought and still had no ideas. So I decided to do what I always do when a mission is a bit tricky. Ask Wanda. Wanda licked my ear, sniffed the carpet and then told me that she wasn't authorised to help me with this mission. But she did, however, have a proper super mission from Mission Control and it was very urgent. Apparently, Uber Baddy Goo Goo was having a particularly massive temper tantrum at Cot 2000, his hilltop hideaway, and was threatening to fire all his toys out of Pram 1, his super high-tech tank, onto a small neighbouring city causing devastation, destruction and a right old mess. None of this helped me with saving the park at all. In fact, the complete opposite. And I started to tell Wanda this, but then I looked down and realised she had gone to find the others. Seconds later, Wanda was making an announcement about how Goo Goo was on his way to shatter Fancy Town's fancy crystal egg, worth millions, by firing toys from Pram 1, his pram-shaped tank. Apparently, we had to stop him before he turned Fancy Town into chaos. But by we, she meant me and Red, as Mum had to pop to the shops and Dad had to make dinner. Honestly! But at least Auntie Blaze was going to meet us there. It turns out Goo Goo had got the grumps and filled his super high-tech tank, Pram 1, to the brim with all his toys to launch an attack on Fancy Town. When we got there, everyone was running screaming from his path as Goo Goo neared his target, the super fancy, extra fragile, extremely precious crystal egg. Auntie Blaze arrived in the nick of time, but we still weren't sure how we could protect the fancy egg. As Gugu opened fire with a round of bouncy balls, we dipped, ducked and dived and sent the balls flying away from the precious egg. But then Gugu fired a round of cuddly toys. But they were just too cuddly, so we just cuddled them. Last but not least, Gugu fired a round of his bestest building bricks. But this was no problem for us. We caught, sorted and stacked those bricks. Danger averted. Then Gugu threw his biggest tantrum ever so Auntie Blaze sent him to the naughty step for a jolly good think about what he'd done. And Fancy Town was safe once more. Hooray! After. It was so good to see Auntie Blaze, I think if I had to be anyone in the whole superhero world, it would be Auntie Blaze. For these reasons. She has a good name. She doesn't have a cape. She takes no nonsense from anyone and would not in any way be bothered by the populars. She's completely awesome and fearless. Her superpower isn't embarrassing. Her costume is actually quite cool. And she's always got a plan. So it made perfect sense to ask Auntie Blaze how she would save the park next to school. And this was Auntie Blaze's completely awesome and utterly genius park-saving plan. First, she'd whoosh away the bulldozers. Then, she'd tie up all the builders. Then, give the boss of Cashcore a piece of her mind. And maybe after all that, 
crunch a few diggers. Suddenly, Mum butted in and said that while that was the sort of thing we did to baddies on official superhero missions, that wasn't how it worked normally, in the normal world, like the one most of us live in, most of the time. And this is exactly the sort of thing Mum would say. Yawn. I think she says things like that because Auntie Blaze is so successfully super. She's really high up at Mission Control in the super secret department and has a really cool motorbike and lives life on her terms. Mum even has to do all her washing she's so successfully super and cook most of her meals. Anyway, then Mum did the eyebrow waggling at Auntie Blaze, the thing grown-ups do at each other, which means, shh, this child will do everything you say. Auntie Blaze then did the, oh, right, OK, I'll shut up face back at Mum. And they think we don't notice. FYI, grown-ups, kids are not stupid. Mainly. And while all of this was great, I still had no plan. So I showed them both the article in the newspaper that Ivy gave me and explained very clearly that these business types were going to hurt the planet by bulldozing a park to build another car park, which would mean more cars, which would hurt the planet even more. And surely that made them big, bad baddies. And wasn't the whole point of us, superheroes, to defeat the baddies however we needed to? And Auntie Blaze said, exactly, then pulled the, oh, right, OK, I'll shut up face again, when Mum glared at her. Mum said, well, no, bulldozing a park did not seem like a very nice thing to do at all, but that the council was probably going to give them permission. And that meant you couldn't just barge in and smush their bulldozers, however much you might like to, because, superhero or not, you would probably end up in jail. And Auntie Blaze said, I should listen to my mother. At this point, I thought my head might actually explode. I asked Mum and Auntie Blaze, what was the point of being super and saving the stupid world the whole time if the world just kept hurting itself anyway? Amazingly, Mum said she actually agreed with me and she thought about it all the time. But we all had to remember that superheroes did lots of good things and we had to keep doing good things and hope lots of other people would do good things too. So actually, all the good things would outweigh the bad things. She suggested that maybe a good place to start was to talk to the big business types, because that is how lots of differences are settled, and blah, 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 blah. Suddenly, then, Red backflipped into the room and blew the perfect fireball and told us she wasn't school counsellor anymore. She was now chief school counsellor. I roll. Chapter 5. The bit where it all goes wrong. The next day. I told Ivy that my mum had suggested we go to the big business types offices and just have a nice chat about it. I only said this because I had nothing better to suggest. But surprisingly, Ivy agreed and thought that maybe if we pointed out how silly the car park idea was, they would see sense. We could just remind them that we do not need more cars, but we do need more trees. Also, we could take along some donuts because they always help things along. I was not at all sure about this plan as it lacked all the whizzy superhero world saving things I'm used to, but I do like donuts. So it was decided we would visit the offices of Cashcore after school. 
But then... I am not entirely sure how it could have gone worse, and I didn't even get a sniff of a donut. But it turns out the big cheese at Cashcore was in actual fact Serena from the popular's dad, Mr Piffle. Once we finally got to see him, a very long story involving a few white lies about a school paper, a smidge of flying and a tiny bit of sneakiness, we were both a bit frazzled. And in actual fact, he doesn't even like donuts, so they were no help. Really, who doesn't like donuts? Anyway, standing in front of him and all of his medium to large cheeses was even more scary than de Bomb's robot army. At least you know where you stand with a robot army, i.e. they all want to zap you with their laser eyes. I had no idea what these cheeses were thinking. As I'm eco-monitor and therefore in charge, I made Ivy do all the talking. And while Ivy's speech was really very informative and she put across a good argument, it didn't really seem to be grabbing the attention of all the different sized cheeses. It felt like it was missing all the whizziness of my previous planet-saving, more superhero-type missions. So, quite surprisingly for me, I decided to take action. Uh-oh. I zoomed across the board table, headed straight for the top, possibly accidentally knocking over some cups of tea on my way. But then total disaster struck, as my stupid flappy cape got caught on the tea trolley, which really upset the tea man, who screamed. And then this made Mr Piffle double cross. And just like that, he kicked us out. Not really what I had had in mind. But then... Not content with telling us off in person, Serena's dad told us to Mrs Harris too which seemed a bit of an overreaction. I mean, it's not like anyone ended up covered in radioactive slime or anything. So then Mrs Harris told us off as well. Well, sort of. I mean, she told us we probably shouldn't have gone to Cash Corps' offices and made such a mess, and I most likely should not have called Serena's dad a nitwit. But Mrs Harris was smiling the whole time, and Ivy and I left feeling very confused as to whether we were actually in trouble or not. I started to feel that I was making a proper mess of being eco-monitor. If I am honest, after all my world saving and facing deadly villains and zooming through outer space, I thought saving a park would be a breeze. But it turns out that when your baddies are dressed in suits and they don't use lasers but bits of paper and suitcases, they are much, much harder to defeat. Worse still. Serena obviously heard all about it from her big cheese dad and decided to bring it up in tutor time in front of the whole class, focusing mainly on the tea trolley incident. I only nudged it, and not so much on the bit where I did a perfect somersault over the board table, or even when Ivy gave her very good speech. Of course, nobody bothered to stop to think about who was actually trying to save the planet and who was being a meanie. Instead, they all just laughed along with Serena's very one-sided and completely inaccurate retelling of our meeting. Sometimes it seems that the less you actually do, the more people think you're great. Take Serena, for example. I have to spend my leisure time saving the world for her. Well, not just for her, obviously. But still, I am running and flying around, averting certain doom all over the place. And what is she doing? Nothing. But none of that matters because everyone thinks Serena is great. And I am a loser. It's so unfair because... At 9am, we both arrive at school. 
But at 10.30am, while I am saving the planet, Serena is checking her nails. Then at 1.30, when I'm off saving the planet again, Serena is checking her hair. Then at 3.30, while I'm just wondering where the day went, oh yes, I remember, I was saving the planet, Serena is just surrounded by everyone and they are all adoring her. Not planet saving me. Oh no. And why does no one even appreciate how great my hair is? I mean, it is, isn't it? Chapter 6. The bit where it all goes wrong. Again. It just felt like this park saving was much harder than it should be. I was supposed to be good at this world saving business. It's not like I would ever be able to rely on long division as a fallback, and I'm useless at netball. I think both are related to the time I got hit on the head with a llama. Long story. So if I wasn't able to save a teeny bit of green space, what was the point of me? Maybe I just hadn't been super enough at the meeting. Maybe it was time to take a bit of Auntie Blaze's advice and go all out super. If I was super careful, Mum would never even have to know. My genius plan to save the day. I figured if there are no diggers and bulldozers, then Cashcore can't dig and flatten the park. Simple. So I zoomed over to Cashcore just to borrow the diggers and bulldozers and put them in a safe place, like Pluto. And how did I do that? Well, with my superpower, which is far too embarrassing, so I'm afraid you can't see that bit. Ta-da! It worked perfectly. Well, up to the part where my Uncle Titano spotted me on his way home and asked what I was up to. A bit crossly. Then, when I told him, he made me return them all to Mr Piffle and apologise. Ugh. But worst of all, Uncle Titano made me tell everything to Mum and Dad. Double ugh. Then disaster struck. Yes, it's true. Even superheroes get grounded, and I was most certainly grounded. Literally. I wasn't allowed to fly for a week. Everyone was furious with me, even Ivy. She said something about it making us look like the baddies rather than cash core. This obviously being the exact opposite of what we wanted. So, I had got myself in massive trouble, being grounded, made the only person at school who talks to me furious and not helped save the park at all. Of course, Serena had something to say about it too, right in front of everyone, at home time. She made a big thing about how I was just a typical super, zooming about, making a mess of everything, and how I shouldn't be allowed to meddle and... But she didn't get to say anything else, because that's when Red stepped in. I don't think I've ever been more pleased to see Red, or actually ever pleased to see her, and it didn't even occur to me to be irritated that my baby sister had saved me from Serena. Then she gave me a super speedy piggyback all the way home. I called Susie and told her I had decided I would resign as eco-monitor the next morning. Ivy would obviously be much better than me. I was clearly no good at being normal and possibly not very good at being super. Susie said she thought I was actually pretty good at being normal and even really great at being super, but just in case we had a quick brainstorm about what other options I had. Then Wanda padded into my room without even knocking, rolled around on my homework, knocked over my drink, told me to get off the phone and come to the kitchen for an urgent briefing. When I got to the kitchen, Red gave me one of those, 
I'm just so sorry for you, smiles, and it did occur to me to be irritated by my baby sister. Fact. Those smiles do not help anything and only make you feel cross on top of whatever it is they are sorry about. Ugh. Wanda told us that Captain Chaos and Star Slayer were causing a right old commotion in the outer reaches of the galaxy, and we needed to go and see exactly what they were up to and shut it down. This was a huge relief, as I had been getting worried about having to be super again after the Mr Piffle debacle, and although Captain Chaos and Star Slayer sound scary, and to be fair, they quite often are, they are also Kapow's mum and dad. I have known Kapow my whole life, almost. We met at nursery and hit it off straight away. I mean, there was no need for either of us to wait until snack time for biscuits when we could both fly. And if you needed a proper laugh during lessons, this was easy peasy when Kapow can use his telepathy to share a joke. And then the rest of the time, we just made each other laugh by pulling all sorts of pranks. Like the time I drew a smiley face on the moon. I mean, you would if you could, wouldn't you? And even when we realised that he is a supervillain and I am a superhero, we still stayed friends. Super secret friends. It turns out that Kapow and I both feel the same way about being super. As you know, I am really not at all sure about being a superhero, and Kapow is not at all keen on being a supervillain. This means that whenever we meet up to fight it out, Kapow and I usually just pretend wrestle, then sneak off for a chat. This mission was no different. Anyway, back to Wanda's mission for us. Kapow's trickster family, Captain Chaos, Star Slayer, Minnie, his annoying little sister, and of course Kapow, were on planet Blech in the second solar system. You know, the one on the left. Apparently, Wanda didn't get the details. Uh, why not? That is her job. But they were definitely up to no good. So we all had to get over there and sort it out. Now! When we got to planet Blech, we came face to face with our enemies and it was all very dramatic. And luckily, no one saw Kapow and I sticking our tongues out at each other. Then a fight broke out and Kapow and I saw our chance. So we pretend wrestled all the way to the other side of a nearby planet where we sat down and I explained my eco problems to Kapow. He asked what Ivy thought we should do and it was then that I realised I hadn't even asked her. Then Kapow eye-rolled. Uh, excuse me? That's my thing. Just then, we heard our annoying parents calling our names, and while we will never actually know what went down on planet Blech, we do know it's not over. Until next time. Chapter 7. The bit where Gramps gives us a good idea. The next day. First thing, I asked Ivy what she thought we should do to save the park. I got a very strong feeling Ivy had been preparing for this moment when she got lots of maps and plans and charts out of her backpack. This made me feel even worse for not asking sooner. Ivy thought we should organise a few of us to hold a protest by the entrance to the park after school on Friday. So when all the parents came to collect their children from school, they could see what was going on and then they would want to save the park too. While I thought this seemed like a nice idea, it didn't really feel like it had any of the punch of our first two tries. How would standing around and just chatting to people save anything? I started to say as much to Ivy, but then I remembered Kapow's eye roll and how my attempts at park saving had worked out. And so instead of telling Ivy her idea was pants, 
I asked if she wanted to come round for tea so we could make a plan for Friday. And amazingly, she said yes. School seemed to go on forever and Serena really didn't miss a single chance to tease me all day. At break, in class, at lunch, even during PE. But by the end of the day, I had sort of zoned out and couldn't really hear her anymore. It's a survival trick I learned from living with Red and her going on and on and on and on about everything all the time. The bell for home time went and I met Ivy at the school gates. We walked home because I was still grounded, for anything other than planetary emergencies, and Ivy can't fly, obviously, so it took ages. But it did give us a chance to chat about our park protest. We made up a sort of songy chant thing we could sing to get people's attention. I had never had to sing chant to save the planet before, and I wondered if maybe this could be my signature superhero move, instead of my completely embarrassing, humiliating one that I still don't want to talk about. Then Ivy asked what we would have for tea, and I think she was a bit disappointed when I said spaghetti. I'm not sure what she thought supers ate, but she was obviously hoping for something more exciting than spaghetti. I wish. A little bit later on. When we got home, we told Mum all about our idea and she said it sounded great and that we should probably go and speak to Gramps because he had done a little bit of protesting himself back in the day. So we did. Mum even drove us over while Dad cooked tea. Gramps and Grandma were very pleased to see us and Grandma asked if I had explained the not making Gramps laugh rule to Ivy and I hadn't, so I did. But this made Ivy laugh, which made Gramps laugh, which made all of us laugh and this made Gramps laugh even more and before you knew it, he trumped and Grandma was putting out a flaming scatter cushion with her handy handbag-sized fire extinguisher. We decided to go outside and walk around the garden in case of any more little fireballs and Gramps told us all about his protest. Apparently, an angry shouty man started telling anyone who would listen that supers were different and not like normal people, which is sort of true, but then he said that's why they couldn't be trusted, as they would only use their superpowers for themselves, and because of that, he said supers should go and live far away from everyone else and stay away. And some people started to listen to him because, well, he was angrily shouting very loudly. But... Obviously, Gramps didn't agree with what the angry shouty man was saying for lots of reasons. The main one being that supers were only being super to protect everyone in the whole world, even the whole universe. And actually, they were much more like normal people than they were different from them. They could just fly and stuff too. Firstly, it made Gramps cross, which I could not imagine. And he wanted to whiz around the planet a million times to turn back time and stop the angry shouty man before he started shouting or even got angry. Then he thought he might like to push the angry shouty man into deepest space so the man could see how he liked it out on his own. But then Gramps finally calmed down and realised that these ideas were not very nice at all and that using his superpowers to try and solve this problem would only make things worse. People would only see how different he was from them not how he was the same, and that was exactly what the angry shouty man wanted. Gramps realised he could only really fix this problem by being everyday super, not super super. So he went to the garage and used some old wood and a stick, which he thought must have been left there by the people who lived there before because he did not do DIY, and he used them to make a sign. 
Then off he went to where the angry shouty man was angrily shouting and he started to calmly protest. He even made up a song too. It turned out lots of other people agreed with Gramps and some of them joined in. First, it was mainly other supers, but slowly all kinds of people got involved. And the more people got involved, the more people noticed. And eventually, the angry shouty man couldn't shout above everyone else's singing. So he shut up and went away, even though no one had told him to. So that was that. Well, until next time, Gramps said. Then Gramps took me and Ivy to the garage, where there was lots of old wooden sticks, because when he made that first sign, he realised he actually loved DIY. And we made some signs for our park protest. It felt totally weird not to just whiz off and use my embarrassing superpower to save the day. But instead, I got to hang out with Gramps and Ivy in the garage, chatting and painting and hammering. I wondered if this really could actually make a difference. And I wasn't at all sure it could, as it was all just too, well, normal. But it was also very nice, so I did it anyway. Ivy said the signs looked really good and Gramps seemed very pleased about this and said he couldn't be happier as he thought his planet-saving days were over. Then Grandma bought us all some crisps and biscuits and I thought how much nicer other planet-saving missions would be if they involved more snacks. At school the next day, Ivy and I drew some leaflets to hand out at the protest and we photocopied them in the library. Mr Simpson, the librarian, thought it was a great idea as he ate his lunch in the park every day and he said he would come along on Friday to support the protest. Our leaflet said, Save our park. Our lovely park is under threat. We want parks, not cars. Please come and help us save our park. When? This Friday after school. Where? The park. Next to school. Why? because it is lovely and there are lots of animals living there and it belongs to us. Chapter 8. The bit before it all kicks off. The big day arrived. I woke up on Friday with bubbles in my tummy and this was extremely weird as all I was going to do was stand about with a sign. It's not like I had to fly off into deepest, darkest space to stop an alien overlord or anything. All my lessons took forever, and Ivy and I could barely eat any lunch at all. I think her tummy had bubbles too. And then all of a sudden, it was home time. Gramps was outside the school with the signs as we had arranged. Ivy said, trees, not cars. Gramps' sign said, protect our wildlife. And mine said, keep our park green, keep the planet clean, which I was pretty pleased with. We picked them up, stood by the park and started our chant. It all felt a bit silly at first, just me, Ivy and Gramps chanting away and people trying to chat over the top. I felt like I should do something super to get things moving. But then I remembered where that had got me before and I really did want to save the park this time. So I just kept going. Molly and Ed, Ivy's friends, met us and joined in. Then the librarian, Mr Simpson, came along. And then even Mrs Harris. Serena looked at us like we smelled funny and started calling someone on the phone that she is absolutely not allowed to take to school. Red brought the school council along and I thought, ugh, typical. I can't even have a protest without her butting in. But then they set up a lemonade stall just by the entrance to the park. And people actually seemed to like that a lot and even took their lemonade into the park. And it felt like although nothing was really happening, something was sort of happening. 
and that something was hopefully a good thing. We handed out our leaflets. Molly had even started a petition for people to sign, and they did. We kept singing and chanting and waving our signs about. Then Mum came down with Grandma and Wanda, and I thought how nice that was, until it was actually completely awful, because right in the middle of our protest, Wanda piped up with an urgent mission. I looked at Mum, who just shrugged her shoulders and did the I'm sorry smile, which still didn't help. I thought Ivy would hate me, because just like always, right in the middle of the best thing I've done in ages, I had to zoom off for a mission. And it was gross, big, baddie, megavom. And those missions never ended well. Wanda was waffling on about pukey villain Megavom and how he was about to throw up all over a small principality and how we had to save them from this hurling horror. When we all flew into the principality, Megavom was on top of the highest hill and almost ready to blow. Chunks. We saw we had no time to spare, so we all picked straws to see which one of us would have to distract Megavom. Guess who got the short straw? Yes. Me. So as Mum, Dad and Red flew in to neutralise Megavom from one side, I distracted him on the other and managed to get a bit bathed on in the process. Splat. But thanks to me, the others could tape up his mouth and foil Megavom once again, even if it did mean I had a slightly pukey cape. I zoomed back to the park as fast as I could, which fortunately was most of the puke off me, but I still landed in a panic. I needn't have, though, because Gramps and Ivy were laughing, but not quite enough for a fireball, phew, and everything seemed okay. Ivy said they had held the fort just fine, and there was even a whisper going about that the local newspaper was going to come along. Oh, and the school council had run out of lemonade, and wasn't it great that people seemed to actually care about this little park after all, and... Well, I'll never know what she was going to say next because I couldn't hear Ivy over the roar of a bulldozer and the roar of Mr Piffle on the bulldozer. Chapter 9. The action-packed bit, where I have to use my stupid superpower. Mr Piffle zoomed up to the park. Well, I say zoomed. Bulldozers don't actually go that fast so it took him quite a while and it was a bit embarrassing. But when he did make it to the park entrance, he was livid and a sort of purpley colour. Purple Mr Piffle stopped the bulldozer because it was really quite hard to hear him over the top of the racket it was making. Then he looked down on us and told us we were all standing in the way of progress. Literally. We should stop being silly because of course we needed more space to park more cars. And what was the point of a tiny, scruffy park anyway? And we should not concern ourselves with the business of big business, and we should just let the big businessmen get on with it, because after all, they knew what was best, and we should also get out of the way. Then... Ivy did something extremely brave and stepped forward and very politely and not at all shoutily, she pointed out to Mr Piffle that people were enjoying their little park and why would he want to take that away? And anyway, just how much money were he and Cashcore going to make out of squishing our park and building their car park? Amazingly, Mr Piffle went even more purple and managed to look even more angry 
which I did not believe was possible until I saw him do it. If he was super, that would for sure be his superpower. Mr Piffle started up his bulldozer again and headed towards the park entrance. I was quite sure all the briefcases and bits of paper in the world did not mean he could just drive through our protest and squash the park without proper permission or anything. Everyone sort of panicked a bit and Ivy looked really sad. It seems such a shame that just as everyone realised how much they liked the little park, Mr Piffle was going to squash it anyway. We had to stop him. But how? I looked at Mum, who nodded and mouthed, Go on. I mean, she might have actually said it, but the bulldozer made it impossible to tell. Then I looked at Wanda, who sniffed a flower, scratched her ear and nodded too. Even Gramps gave me a shove. And then I looked at Ivy. I had messed things up so many times trying to be super, and I wanted to make a friend as well as save the little park. But Ivy just looked so sad, and I knew I had to do something. The most embarrassing thing. The thing I tried so hard all the time not to do. But here I was, about to do it in front of everyone at school, slightly covered in vomit. I would have to use my superpower. I ran in front of the bulldozer and raised my hands. Then I shouted, Ta-da! at the top of my voice as I started doing my special superhero move, which is jazz hands. I know. Slowly, a glitter storm appeared in front of me and I used that glitter storm, I can control it with my jazz hands, I know, to push the bulldozer back onto the road and away from the little park. Well, this made Mr Piffle properly angry and he jumped down from his now very sparkly bulldozer and started yelling right in the protesters' faces. All this happened just as the local paper turned up and took lots of photos of him screaming. This seemed to make him even more angry and then everyone started booing and Serena and the populace disappeared and Mr Piffle looked extremely bothered made a very strange, angry, gargling noise and stomped off, leaving his disco bulldozer right in the middle of the road. I used my jazz hands glitter storm and carefully moved it to the side of the road so everyone could go home. I mean, everyone had seen my embarrassing superpower at this point, so whatever. But then the best thing happened. No one, well, almost no one, went home. Everyone cheered and stayed in the park and Red used her super speed to whip up some more lemonade and then the ice cream van turned up and it was really, really super. Chapter 10. The M-Bit. Or is it? <laughs> yes. Or is it? It turned out that because Mr Piffle hadn't got permission yet to squish the park, he was now in big trouble and Serena was extremely quiet about that. But she was less quiet about my embarrassing superpower and teases me about it whenever she can. But do you know what? I don't even mind that much because now I have a friend at school, one who actually thinks my superpower is pretty cool. I know! In fact, I have three friends, Ivy, Molly and Ed, or the Eco Council as we are otherwise known. We hold regular council meetings in the park and Tom and Susie even came along to one of them. Well, it was more of a picnic than a meeting, but it was great all the same. As I looked around our slightly less scruffy-looking park, Gramps now heads up a volunteer group who are making it pretty special, 
I guess he just can't stop saving the planet. I realised that no matter how much I might not want to always save the planet, and sometimes it seems like there is just too much to do, I am always glad when I have, one bit at a time. So far, we haven't had to protest again, but Gramps said the garage is ready if we do. And now you know, that's my super superpower. Not kung fu, not laser eyes, not even supersonic projectile vomiting. No, my superpower is jazz hands. Jazz hands that then create a glitter storm, biodegradable, obviously, that I can move at my will. And yes, it is completely embarrassing. I roll. Ta-da! So I guess now you know why I'm called Pizzazz. To be continued. You have been listening to a Simon & Schuster audiobook, Pizzazz, It's Not Easy Being Super, written and read by Sophie Henn. Produced by Leo Weta for the Strathmore Studios, Clerkenwell, London. Edited and proofed by Jordan Killiard and Patricia Saunders. The text is copyright Sophie Henn, 2020. The recording is copyright 2021 by Simon & Schuster. The right of Sophie Henn to be identified as the author of this work has been asserted by her in accordance with Section 77 and 78 of the Copyright Design and Patents Act, 1988.